everyone. Welcome to Women in Retail Talks, the podcast where C-suite executive women in the retail space share their stories of professional growth, leadership development, personal journeys, and more. I'm Marie Albajez, Senior Editor of Women in Retail, a membership-based community of executive women at leading retailers and brands. Today, I'm joined by Jane Wakely, the Executive Vice President, Chief Consumer and Marketing Officer, and Chief Growth Officer of International Foods at PepsiCo. Today, we're talking with her about her career journey to get to PepsiCo, how she makes an impact regardless of job description, and how her leadership style has changed over the years. Jane, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you all. Yeah, so you've got a really big title for a very big company. I mean, that was a mouthful. So I'd love for you to kind of just walk me through what that title means, what your day-to-day responsibilities look like. Yes, it is the longest title in history, isn't it? I'm open to all shorter options. Um, But yes, so um, really I've got um, two key responsibilities at PepsiCo. Um, The first is as Chief Consumer and Marketing Officer of the company. And there, you know, I'm 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 responsible and overseeing um, R and D, marketing, insights, design, and category strategy. And so, part of the opportunity of that role is to envisage the growth for the future, um, to um, uh, create a, a growth strategy that really transforms our business and and what we call winning with pet positive. So, driving positive choices for people and planet. Uh, across our portfolio, working with all of the sectors across the world to do so, which is super exciting. The second part of my my, my job title, which is um, Chief Growth Officer of International Foods, um, I've got the opportunity to really um, um, get even more deeply involved with the international foods business, which is all of the foods business outside Fritillet in in the US. And there, again, we've got these fabulous brands, Lay's, Cheetos, Doritos, Quaker. And the opportunity there is, again, to really get into our innovation strategy, our growth strategy on how we win with pet positive, how we accelerate our growth, but also accelerate our impact on our sustainability and diversity journey. Awesome. Jane, I'm curious, how do you split that work up? I mean, do you spend 50% of the time as chief growth officer of international foods and 50% of the time as chief consumer and marketing officer? Is it all like intertwined? It's all pretty much intertwined. I, I, I wish it was that simple. <laughs> um, and it goes in phases like all these things. But, you know, we have amazing talent and partners at PepsiCo. So really, you know, my job is, is to work with uh, those associates all over the world. And, um, you know, it's amazing how much progress we can make uh, very rapidly at, at PepsiCo. I'm super impressed at the pace of PepsiCo I'm joining. And so, you know, some weeks uh, it'll be slightly more focused on one than the other, but both are very intertwined. Why? Because conserving the consumer is right at the heart of everything I do. Putting human centricity or consumer centricity at the heart of how we see the business for the future, how we want to develop and lead and shape our categories. You know, that's that's at the essence of, of what we do. So uh, um, I find it's, it, it's very self-reinforcing, the two parts of the job. Yeah. Now, has that always been the case for you, putting the consumer in front of everything you do? I mean, I know you've had uh, a lot of roles in your career. You spent 20 years at Mars and you were you know, in a handful of positions you know, throughout the years at Mars before making the change yeah. to, to PepsiCo. So has that always been like that? Absolutely. So I, I cut my teeth as a marketeer 
um, at Unilever, actually. I did an internship at both Unilever and Procter & Gamble, both amazing companies, both amazing companies in terms of putting the consumer at the heart and using behavioral understanding of consumers to project forward um, how to lead and shape categories. So I, I was I was trained actually mainly at, at Procter & Gamble. And then, I've, as you say, I've had my last 20 years at Mars, which is an incredible company to work for. It's a private company that spans categories from, of course, you probably know confectionery brands, some of the foods brands such as Ben's Original, Seeds of Change, uh, uh, that sort of business, to pet care. Um, and absolutely serving the consumer or in pet care, we used to call them the pet parent, and understanding their needs, their journey. That's been absolutely at the heart of what, what, what I've done. I would also say over my career, I really learned to put what I call the science of growth at the heart of diagnosing the opportunities for the future, how a business is performing. And that's all about understanding the repeatable patterns uh, 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 of behavior, consumer behavior, shopper behavior, a, 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 a person's life journey and understanding how the experiences your brands uh, um, can give a consumer can enhance their lives, um, you know, is going to project into the future. So absolutely. And, and, and at PepsiCo, actually, one of the reasons my, my role is called Chief Consumer and Marketing Officer, Officer is for that very reason, to put the consumer and the person at the heart of what we're trying to do. We, we reach billions of consumers every day and we've got a huge opportunity and responsibility to really, you know, deliver on their needs and desires. I love that. I love the, the science of growth. It's almost like you're, you're a behavioral like scientist studying the consumer throughout your <laughs> journey. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm a big believer that um, actually, you know, we as marketeers, have learned a lot or as growth architects in, in the last few decades. And, and I, I don't know about for many of you, but what I learned at university is certainly not what I apply today. I think behavioral economics, neuroscience, understanding how people really take decisions, how uh, you really uh, uh, um, understand consumer behaviors, that we're much more system one animals than system two, that actually we, you know, we act on feelings more than we do on rational thoughts. That's really important in understanding um, how, to, how to drive growth, but how to also give experiences to consumers that delight them, um, that move them. And I'm a big, big believer in putting behavioral science right at the heart of what we do. And of course, like any marketeer, it, it, it's, you know, the difference between good and great is understanding the science of growth, but then combining that with mind opening and heart opening creativity. That's when the two come together and, and you can create magic in terms of in terms of growth for the future. Yeah, you make it sound so easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> but I mean, yeah. you have you've had a lot of experience, like the 20 years at Mars, Parker and Campbell before that. So I'm curious, um, a lot of our listeners want to know, you know, how do you know when it's time to to make the next move? And then you went through several roles at Mars before making the jump mm. to PepsiCo. So in each of those changes, how did you know it was the right time? That's a great question. Uh, and the, the truth of my career trajectory is I've been pulled more than I've pushed. And actually, in my early career, I, you know, I used to fall so in love with jobs uh, and find the longer I stayed in role, the more I learned, the more value I could create, 
the more personal purpose I could fulfill. And so actually I, I'm a serial long time in role person. Mm. My last three roles were all greater than five years. Um, and I personally found the personal growth and the business impact always greater in the second half of my role than the first half. And I think in big transformational opportunities, we really undervalue time and role. Um, but I would say early in my career, because I used to fall in love with whatever category I was working on, really immerse myself, really be enjoying it, I literally needed to be kicked on or pulled up to the next opportunity. I, I remember fighting several line managers saying, no, I, I don't want to go and do that. I, I really, I've got more to do. I've got more to deliver. And actually, so in the early parts of my career, lucky for me, I had uh, sponsors and leaders who you know, use their experience and wisdom to know when I needed to stretch out, when I needed to develop in different areas. Um, and in the latter parts of my career, I suppose I've learned to trust my intuition a little more. And there's always a balance for me of making sure that I've delivered on the on the role in hand. You know, I, I, I think when you start a new role, you know, the first thing is you have to really immerse yourself in the business, really be curious. Um, really be humble and, and see the business through fresh eyes. But then, you know, your job as a leader is to set a vision and think about how you build on the great legacy the leaders before you have built, but how you're going to take that legacy on. And, and so I've always had a sense of, I've never wanted to move on before I've delivered on, you know, my personal legacy for the role. And then, you know, quite often, um, the next opportunity actually has, has come through intuition or through creating the opportunity. Um, you know, sometimes I think at a senior level, the next move isn't always obvious. Uh, and I, I've never been somebody that's out there looking for the next move because I've always been immersed in what I've been doing. But then, you know, when opportunity comes, you know, taking a, a fresh uh, a stock and I, I've definitely learned to trust my intuition. You know, I used to in my early career, write lists and lists of, Here's the positives, here's the negatives, you know, be very logical about it. But going back to our understanding of how humans really take decisions, you know, we really take decisions as human beings emotionally and then spend a lot of time post-rationalizing them, right? So I've learned to trust my intuition more. And also I've learned to face into fear a little bit more. A, a great mentor of mine used to tell a story of she learned to ski, as did I, uh, post 40. And she used to say, Fasla danger. She used to say, in a context of skiing, if you're learning to ski later in life, you know, we've all become much more safety conscious, right? And she told the story of you know, standing at the top of this slope, which I really relate to personally, facing down the mountain in abject terror, <laughs> you know. Um, but the thing about skiing is, the, you know, the more you lean forward, uh, the more you lean into the danger, the safer you are. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a bit like that, um, with career, I know logically that, you know, um, females and certainly myself, I underestimate, I, I feel um, that I've needed to have, tick every box of experience to qualify for the next role. That's what I've right. learned about myself. So as I've progressed, because I know that, I force myself to fasten down a, bit, a little bit more, trust in my intuition and 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 trust in, you know, what what what, what I've enjoyed and developed from in, in in the past so I wouldn't say I've perfected that but I've definitely got got better at that and uh, I'd really encourage um, other women to do the same. At what point in your career did you stop 
feeling the need to check all of those boxes of qualifications. <laughs> because I know that women do that I, all the time, right? There's studies that show I have that, like, to be honest, I never stop doing it. <laughs> I just at least recognize I'm right. doing it. And I stop myself yeah. and give myself a good talking to uh, and sometimes reach out to, you know, we all need cheerleaders in our life. I, I call them cheerleaders. I, I have great friends, great mentors that when I'm having a moment like that and I still have them frequently, I recognize it and I go to one of my cheerleaders for a good talking to <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, uh, uh, proceed. So I, I think it's like anything in life. Um, as we try and develop ourselves, part of the part of the opportunity is recognizing the triggers, recognizing the things which are holding you back. And you may not be able to get rid of them, but you find ways of overcoming it. And I, I would say that's that's how I've certainly nudged myself forward on that development. Yeah, that's great. I want to go back to something you said. You said that um, you've you've often stayed in, in roles a really long time and had to be pulled out versus pushed out. In, in hindsight, when you, when you look back at those, those roles, do you see any instance where you probably were ready to leave or that you should have, should have changed roles sooner? That's a great question. I'm not sure I've even thought of it like that. And I guess I'm asking myself why. I think it's because, um, I've always thought of my role as expandable. So, you know, a role at the start of your, if you do a role for five years, what you do at the beginning of that role versus what you do at the end should never be the same, right? All roles should grow and develop. So I think I just, you know, learned that it's much less important to escalate job titles or, you know, what's important is, are you learning and growing? Are you developing? Are you making a bigger and bigger impact? No one can stand still. And so I think quite often what I've focused on is creating opportunity to add more value to the business, to the brands I work on, to, to, to my own personal journey. And, you know, I've, I've collaborated with others to create those opportunities. And of course, that doesn't always work. It sounds like a perfect recipe, right? But it's not a perfect recipe. Yeah. But I, I think, you know, if you, if you think about where you can add value, and, and you find your groove, you find where you are going to add the most value for a company or, uh, uh, you know, you're, you're passionate about an area. It's amazing the difference you can make. And, and I'm a big believer that um, in terms of personal development, doubling down on a strength is actually propels you forward at a much more rapid rate and propels your impact forward at a much more rapid rate than continually focusing on what you're not good at and trying to develop there. Now, we all need to be reasonably good (laughs) at at, at certain leadership traits, but doubling down on strengths um, in terms of personal development, but also in terms of a business's competitive advantage, I think is a recipe for success. And I remember one coach told me of a a study that was done. This, This always sticks in my mind. A study was done on reading speed. And they took a group of um, readers who were already good readers and a group who were, you know, not not so uh, um, quick at reading. Each group made progress, but the the readers that were already quite good readers made spectacular progress. And, And I think that's a lesson for development. We should really work on understanding each other's superpowers, each other's strengths. 
and work out how those strengths can be at the service of others. I think, I think, you know, that's certainly something I've grown in confidence on. Instead of us all trying to make ourselves, you know, into this perfect leader, let's embrace what each of us is brilliant at and put teams together in a way that combines superpowers rather than all trying to be equally good at everything. Yeah, I love um, that because so yeah. so often women are focusing on on the things that they're bad at and trying to improve it. But what we should be doing is really celebrating our strengths. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, I wanted to go back to um, what you were saying about trying to, to craft your your position in a way that really leaves a legacy behind. And it sounds mm-hmm. like for you, that kind of means not necessarily adhering to a T to the, the job description. And I've heard you talk about, you know, the difference between what you're expected to deliver to deliver to the company based on your job description and, and the impact that you can make where you can kind of make the biggest difference regardless mm. of job description. So I'd love for you yeah. to kind of elaborate on on how you figure out what that impact is what that legacy is that you want to leave and how you balance that with the the kind of day-to-day responsibilities that you have to the company yes um no it's it's an interesting one look we all have job descriptions (laughs) and we all have expectations and kpis to deliver and and you know there's there's no out of that you know we, we all have to deliver the core right um but you know, really for the last 20 years of my career, what's opened up the most exciting opportunities where I've made the biggest difference is I found a sweet spot between what's on the job description and something I'm personally passionate about where I can make a bigger difference. Um, You know, so at Mars, creative effectiveness was was something I was super passionate about, you know, um, 15, 17 years ago. And that was an area that my business had a need for. We needed to step change the creative effectiveness of the business I was accountable for. But we also had an opportunity to impact the whole company on that. And, and so that's, that's what I mean. Find that sweet spot between what matters to your core job description or, or, or your core role, but actually dream bigger of it. Think about um, the biggest gift you could give, the biggest impact you could give. And it's amazing what comes from that, um, the, 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 the different partners you meet, the different um, experts that you come across in the company, across, across the world. You know, if you're accountable for a single market, connect, find people from around the world who have similar jobs to be done or business problems to solve. The learnings you get, the network you get, you're, you, you, it's unbelievable what personal learning and growth that leads to, but also what value it can lead to because there's not a single problem in the world that someone else is not working on. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and I think it's, you know, it's that sort of um, thinking of, you know, how can you make the biggest impact uh, uh, from the position you're in? And how do you also find that sweet spot between what you're personally passionate about and what's going to make a difference for your business? I know, I know that's, that's given me tremendous energy and resilience at key times. And, and, and made it possible to, you know, keep that energy up uh, for, for long periods of time. So, so I, you know, I, that, that, that's the key insights I would share on that. 
Yeah, I mean, I'd love to talk to you about the kind of impact you've made so far at PepsiCo. I know that you were kind of brought on in part to lead its sustainability transformation. And PepsiCo has like really ambitious goals to have, you know, 100% recyclable, reusable, compostable, biodegradable packaging by 2025, which is just around the corner, and achieve net zero emissions by 2040. So how do you come into an organization like PepsiCo and implement that kind of impact? Slowly, I'm guessing. Yes, well, you know, to be clear, we have an office of sustainability. Um, Jim Andrews is our executive leader of that. He's doing an amazing uh, leadership role in architecting um, our company-wide strategy. And, and what I would say is all PepsiCo executives are measured on our progress towards those goals and what we personally contribute towards it. And, and I'm just one of those executives. I see my unique uh, um, opportunity is to really link the the incredible, ambitious, um, you know, corporate goals and progress that we're making with our consumer agenda, finding ways to make relatable, finding ways to find that sweet spot between the corporate difference we want to make and a brand relevant, a brand authentic difference that we can augment and, and make. Because I, I, I fundamentally believe that brands can be a force for growth and a force for good. And so finding an authentic way to join those two and bring our consumers with us, create movements of energy um, through billions of the billions of consumers we touch every day around the world. I, you know, I, quite frankly, that was one of the big things that really excited me uh, uh, to join PepsiCo. And you know, I, look, I'm eight months in, I'm very humble. So I am standing on the shoulders of giants who have built these brands and, and really working with the teams to find how do we accelerate um, that, that we call them positive brands and find that way to, as I say, drive meaningful um, growth acceleration, but also meaningful and measurable impact on the people and planet. And, and, and you know, that's exciting. So eight months in, I would love to hear how you lead your teams, particularly how you spend maybe your first 90 days at the company and in this role, because you, I mean, your teams must be huge. So I'd love to know kind of you get in there. What's the first (laughs) five things you do? Okay, there's only one thing I did for the first 90 days. I probably frustrated many people by insisting on doing it for way longer than 90 days. And that was listen and learn. I think, you know, I come from a company, an amazing company at Mars that I had 20 years of experience in. I worked across every category. I knew almost every general manager, every regional president. You know, I had a vast network in the company. I understood how to make things work, uh, uh, you know, So I think when you come into a new company, you've got to be very curious and very open and really soak it up. And for me, it's not just about understanding the business strategy, which, of course, you can do with pre-reads and PowerPoints. It's about understanding the culture, how decisions get made, what are the values that the associates um, um, share, what are the differences you see across the world. So, So I spent my first, I would say, even 150 days, really on a world listening tour, listening, learning, meeting with associates right from the front line, those that serve, uh, uh, make, move and sell our products, 
um, to um, our strategy groups around the world, our marketing groups, our R&D centers. We have incredible design centers. And, you know, when you begin to piece together all of those insights, you begin to form a picture. And, you know, the first thing I always think to diagnose is what is a company's strength? And I've said that about, you know, personal development. It's the same as a company. When a company is as successful as PepsiCo, you know, it's very dangerous to come in. This is not a turnaround company. This is a company that's firing on all cylinders. And so understanding, you know, um, our unique uh, competitive advantage, our our, um, cultural um, essence of the company has been very important to me. And so I would say, you know, many PepsiCo associates are very action oriented. It's a fast paced company. So several, several, you know, question me, why, why aren't you coming to the operational meetings this week? And I'd be like, because I'm learning, I'm learning and listening. And, I, and it's honestly, it's been amazing. Um, so that's, that was my first, second, third, fourth and fifth priority for my first 90 days. That's great. So when, when you've compiled all of these insights, you're 150 days in, yeah. what, and you, you've, you've maybe started figuring out, you know, what are PepsiCo's strengths? What's, what's next? How, what do you do with all that information? Yeah, so together with the business leaders, obviously we're, we're uh, preparing um, strategies for the future and building on the strengths of the past, but, but propelling us forward. So I can give you just what, you know, I'll give perhaps one example in the spirit of confidentiality, but, um, you know, it'll be no surprise that um, one of the big opportunities is, is, is we're making incredible progress on our pet positive goals. So for example, one goal is um, um, to drive regenerative agriculture across 7 million acres of um, farmland um, by 2030. Another goal is to drive more positive choices. And we've got really scientific based targets on those. So, you know, one opportunity uh, uh, I, I, you know, I've got that's no surprise. It's part of my job description. It's part of my brief, but I, I've got insights on how to do it is how we can accelerate the integration of our brands into that journey, make it more relevant for the consumers. And that's an area that I'm spending a lot of time on from our innovators to our designers to our marketeers and super proud of of the progress they're making and there's a lot 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 further to go that's great i can see how like excited you are just talking about it so that's that's excellent so jane in the last few minutes that we have you I mean you've already given a bunch of advice but i would love for you to share any kind of last minute advice or tips that you have for women in retail who are really looking to advance the industry, advance within the industry. And, you know, they might have their eye on the C-suite, but they're not quite there. How did you get there? <laughs> um, yes, so it, it's a good one. Um, look, I, I think there's so many tips you can give. Firstly, always perform in the role you're in versus overdreaming about the next opportunity. Because if you knock it out of the park, you know, that gives you the foundation to move forward. So so first, you know, I I do experience some leaders who are so anxious for the next opportunity, not really giving their full attention to what they're in. So be in the moment, you know, perform your socks off, knock it out of the park, dream big. But um, I think I would say there are sort of probably two things I would advise. What I see is there are many women who do 
perform fantastically in role. But one of the reasons they don't perhaps progress is that they're not also understanding that it's not enough just to perform. I think we all need um, sponsorship, for example. And many women have many, many mentors. So lots of people who give us coaching and advice, which is invaluable. But mentorship is not the same as sponsorship. And I think the more senior you get, um, you not only need to develop the business results, but you need to develop your network and you need to develop meaningful sponsorship of people who will really, you know, um, sponsor you when the moment comes, when the opportunity comes and back you. And, and, and active sponsorship, I think, is invaluable and something that many female leaders um, are not conscious of cultivating. I know I wasn't. I've been incredibly lucky um, on that front um, because I've worked for very, um, you know, a, a series of amazing leaders who have sponsored me. Um, but I, but I've definitely learned to be more conscious of it. And um, I see many women, you know, not getting to the next level be because of that. The, the second thing is dare to be bolder, dream big. I think, you know, um, women um, um, have the opportunity to face le danger more, <laughs> to, to lean into the risks, to lean into bolder asks of themselves and the organization, to not have to tick all the boxes. So, you know, if you're dreaming of the next role, dream of the difference you can make. What's the biggest difference? The biggest gift you could give your organization now and just drive for that, drive for that because that will propel you forward, I believe, as well as propelling your business forward. Yeah, great advice. Thank you so much. I love it. And I will say, you know, more and more on this podcast, we've, the 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 executive women that we have, mention sponsorship and mentorship and how important it is to actively be doing that. I mean, I, I was the same way where I wasn't conscious of, of doing yeah. that or, or not doing it. And now I feel like it's, it's speaking of checking the boxes, it's something that we just have to have if we want to, if we want to excel and, and dream big and get to that C-suite level. So thank you so much for the advice and thank you so much for, for joining us. I really enjoyed this conversation uh, and I can't wait to see uh, what you do next at PepsiCo. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. For more information on this podcast, please go to womeninretail.com slash podcasts for show notes. Women in Retail Talks is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Make sure to subscribe on our podcast channel page as well. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a few moments to rate and review our show. Lastly, if you're a female retail leader interested in joining our community at Women in Retail Leadership Circle, visit womeninretail.com apply. Thanks, and until next time, this has been Women in Retail Talks.